The reading is taken from Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28, and you'll find this on page 1054, 1054, Luke, chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, as the crowds chanted a welcome as you rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, Help us to welcome you not only with our voices, but into our hearts and our lives. Amen. I very much like the sea. I do like to be beside the seaside. <laughs> and uh, I also like uh, travelling, going out for a day by train. So it doesn't come much better for me for a favourite walk than the walk along the seawall at Tynmouth where you've got the waves on one side and the railway on the other. And I was there a couple of weeks ago, the sun was shining, I could feel the warmth on my arms, but at the same time I felt raindrops on my face. I looked up and saw the storm clouds over the River Tin Estuary in the distance. Those clouds were making their way towards me, and the wind was blowing the rain on ahead of them, slanting down through the last of the sunshine. And so I hurried back to the shelter of the town. Sunshine before the storm. It's very much the atmosphere of today, Palm Sunday, especially as the events are described as we've just heard in Luke's Gospel, where we read about both triumph 
and tears. We're challenged about where we would place ourselves in that scene on the outskirts of Jerusalem, with people reacting in such different ways to Jesus' arrival amongst them and expecting such different things from him. We may wonder whether Jesus rejoices at our insight into his mission in his world and our willingness to share in it, or whether Jesus is moved to tears by our lack of understanding or our reluctance to join him. So I'd like to take a look at some of those characters there on that first Palm Sunday in Luke 19. So do keep the Bible open at page 1084, if, 1054, if you will. There in verse 29, there are two disciples who Jesus sent on ahead of him to borrow the colt or the young donkey that he wanted to ride. Because it would have been easier for Jesus to be seen if he was riding on an animal. It would help to mark him out from his followers. But in choosing a humble donkey to ride on rather than a fine horse, Jesus was showing that he came in peace as the gentle king promised by the prophet Zechariah. It may well be that Jesus had made an agreement with the donkey's owners to hand over their animal to anyone who came with the password, the Lord needs it. Or it may just have been a word of command that those disciples were to pass on. We just don't know how much the two disciples knew about any arrangements or about the significance of Jesus riding such an animal. What we do know is that they followed Jesus' instructions exactly and found out that everything was, as it says, just as Jesus had told them it would be. They obtained the donkey for him and then threw their own cloaks over it as an improvised saddle. And for ourselves, it's often the case that we only see part of the picture of God's purposes in our lives. We may wonder why things turn out as they do, or whether our words or our actions really make any difference. But we have to remind ourselves that we are called to be faithful and obedient to God's way of doing things, rather than being assured of any immediate or obvious success. That faithful obedience of those two disciples is matched by that of the donkey's owners. Owners, the fact there was more than one owner, suggests they weren't very well off. It was like a sort of car share. But they were still prepared to take the risk of allowing Jesus, who wasn't from their part of the country, he was from up north in Galilee. They were allowed to even allow this northerner to borrow the animal that was probably essential to their everyday work. And that risk was even greater because they had to hand over the animal, not to Jesus himself, but to two strangers who simply said, the Lord needs it. Yet that's what they did. They were ready to let Jesus take control of their property and their financial security for him to use for his purposes. And I wonder whether we're prepared to take the same sort of risk with our property and our security in order to serve Jesus in whatever way he wants. I wonder whether the owners of the donkey followed those two disciples, both to keep an eye on the animal and to see what would happen. And if so, they'd have seen people spread their cloaks on the road to smooth the ride and to show their welcome to Jesus. In verse 37 of chapter 19, we read, 
When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Most of this crowd of disciples must have been from the Galilee region up further north, where Jesus had spent most of his time preaching and performing those miracles that they were singing about. They'd have been on their way to celebrate the Passover, the Passover that remembered their deliverance 1,500 years or so before from Egypt, one of the major festivals for which as many Jews as possible made their way to Jerusalem every year. And as they travelled, they sang a selection of psalms that spoke of going up to the temple and thanking God for rescuing their nation. Some of those words that they chanted were taken from one of those psalms. But as well as celebrating their past deliverance, the pilgrims also used these psalms to look forward to the appearance of God's anointed king or Messiah who would rescue their people just as God had done before. So Passover was a national as well as a religious festival that generated strong patriotic emotions as the pilgrims saw parallels between their story of slavery in Egypt and their present suffering under Roman occupation. So when the crowds shouted, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, some would be merely singing a familiar seasonal psalm whilst others were calling for God to act to save their nation once again, and even recognising in Jesus the one whom God would use to bring that salvation. And knowing what happened to Jesus just a few days later on that first Good Friday, we can't help wondering whether some of those who shouted, Blessed is the King, were also in the crowd that five days later were shouting, Crucify him. Or was the support of the pilgrims from Galilee drowned out by the cries of the local Jerusalem mob stirred up by the elite? But it seems there were some, like Judas Iscariot, of course, who had changed their minds from following Jesus to rejecting him. Perhaps they were disappointed that Jesus wasn't prepared to be the sort of Messiah that they wanted to lead an armed uprising against the Romans. And even if the Palm Sunday crowd didn't join in the clamour for Jesus' death, they did little to oppose it. And as we know, many of Jesus' closest friends ran away, and Peter even denied that he knew Jesus. Only Mary and a few other of the women and John were there with Jesus at the end. So which crowd do we see ourselves in? The crowd on Palm Sunday or the crowd early on Good Friday? Or is it a bit of both? Does our enthusiasm for following Jesus vary from one day to the next? Or does it depend on how our lives are going? There's always a danger, just like those uh, followers at the time wanted Jesus to be the sort of Messiah they wanted. There's always the danger that uh, we can expect God to serve our needs so that we almost see it as a sort of bargain. We'll give our time and resources to serving God if he helps us, our families and friends, in the way we want. But if we face disappointments and setbacks, 
well, then we'll reconsider our commitment to his worship and service. But what Jesus calls us to is more challenging than that. It's to follow his way of the cross, to give ourselves humbly and sacrificially to him whatever the outcome, and to be prepared to be brought low before God raises us up again. We naturally like to be popular and successful, but what Jesus looks for is faithfulness. It's the way of the world, that is the world that ignores God to use power and resources to dominate and manipulate people into doing what they want, but that isn't Jesus' way. He wants people to respond to him freely in love, so he chose the way of self-forgetful giving. He wants us too to ride the donkey rather than the war horse, to seek to serve rather than to impress those around us, and that can go against our natural inclinations and make us resentful of his demands upon us. It can just seem easier to go with the crowd, but if so, it may lead us to drifting away from Jesus. One group who certainly didn't go with the crowd on that first Palm Sunday were the Pharisees who appear in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees keep appearing on the edge of the crowd, observing Jesus rather than following him. They were a sort of religious pressure group, calling the people to follow God's law more closely and to have nothing to do with the pagan influences of the Greek and Roman culture around them. <coughs> Some were impressed by Jesus' teaching and his high moral standards, even if they felt that he was too easy on those who failed to keep them. But they definitely thought the crowd were going too far when they called out to Jesus, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Surely they felt Jesus wouldn't accept such a title. Didn't he realise that his disciples were going too far and might be stirring up trouble? But Jesus' reply was not what the Pharisees expected. <coughs> I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And there are still Pharisees around who stay on the sidelines ready to criticise but reluctant to get involved. And there are those who are happy enough when Christians seem to be having a good influence in the community. But they don't want us to say too much about Jesus, his uniqueness and his claims on our lives. And that brings us to the most important character for us to consider in the excitement of that first Palm Sunday, which is, of course, Jesus himself and his reactions to all that was going on around him. We've just seen that Jesus was happy to accept the crowd's recognition of him as the king who comes in the name of the Lord, which means the same as God's anointed one or Messiah or Christ, the one who fulfilled all the Old Testament hopes and prophecies. But Jesus was under no illusion that the crowd understood what that title really meant or what sort of kingdom he came to establish, despite the clues he'd already given in his life of love and humility up to the moment when he chose a donkey on which to ride towards Jerusalem. You might expect Jesus to bask in the acclamation of the crowd and continue his journey amidst wild celebration. So the next verse, verse 41, comes as a shock. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. 
He wept over it. Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, not in triumph, but in tears, because he saw where it was all leading. So in verse 42, Jesus said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, encircle you, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And that is eventually what happened to Jerusalem about 40 years later, in AD 70, when the future Roman Emperor Titus responded to a series of Jewish rebellions against Roman rule by laying siege to the city, killing many of the inhabitants and destroying the temple. And similar fates had befallen other places that had taken up arms against Rome. And Jesus could see that that's what would happen to Jerusalem if the people looked for a military solution rather than the spiritual revolution that Jesus offered them. If, as Jesus put it, they did not recognize the time of God's coming to them in his own coming. And Jesus' reaction to such willful spiritual blindness and where it would lead them was tears. When he saw the city, he wept over it. And do we, I wonder, share Jesus' tears the way our society is going in its rejection of his kingship and of his ways? Christians can sometimes come across as harsh and judgmental when they stand up for biblical moral standards, which we should do, but we should be saddened by the mess people get themselves into rather than pointing the finger and setting ourselves up as some people better. Instead of condemning people from a distance, we should come alongside them in what may well be the emptiness of their lives and encourage them to turn to Jesus' way of life in all its fullness. Better still, with the help of his Spirit, we should be demonstrating that fuller way of life amongst us. It's not just the world outside that I believe still moves Jesus to tears. Does he ever weep over us as we fail to acknowledge his kingship in parts of our own lives and sometimes suffer the consequences for that? Or does Jesus rejoice when he sees us faithfully following in his steps? So another Palm Sunday and another Holy Week leading up to Good Friday and Easter. Perhaps we could put aside some time this year to think about those events that may be so familiar to us but can still comfort us, challenge us and even change us. Perhaps we could read through the accounts in one of the Gospels, seeing where we fit amongst the different characters, as we've been doing this morning with the events of Palm Sunday. Perhaps we could take advantage of those evening meetings that are there on the notice sheet, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday in the community centre, to understand more about the cross and its enduring message for today. Or go to one of the services in church or in the town centre on Good Friday or at Angersley. Perhaps we could really listen to one of the great pieces of music for this season, not just have it on in the background, if that's something that particularly speaks to us. Whatever it is, the joy of Easter Sunday next week will be all the greater if before then we've entered into some of the depths of Jesus' suffering for us. 
a moment of quiet and then I'll say a prayer for this season. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen.